Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am honoured to have the returning guests of Catherine Emerson and Dean Anderson back on the show to talk about all the great things with investing and index funds and shares and how to stay sane during lockdown, after lockdown, <laughs> this ongoing pandemic. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Very well. Nice to be back out and travelling around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So was there much of a difference in terms of how you guys worked during lockdown, well, before lockdown, after lockdown? Uh, no, for us, it was pretty straightforward because we were, as a fairly new business, we were built entirely digital. So we just picked up the laptop, screen, wow. take it home. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pretty easy as business as usual for us. Yeah. Um, and we already kind of had like Stephen and our team and things. He's got young children. So we already had fairly flexible workplace anyway. Like if somebody wanted to work from home for a day, it doesn't really matter. And so um, from that perspective, it was pretty much business as usual biggest difference was you're just missing that interaction, mm. missing being able to have that general banter. Everything's done via Zoom. You have a Zoom call maybe once or twice a day, just checking in with the team. But you don't have that same, like, just general chit-chat or talk about ideas and things. So look, it was mm. great to be back in the office and be able to sort of just chat with the team in person. Did you think of any ideas on how to adapt the system more? Um I didn't Interesting. Come you know, well, funnily enough, I think probably the one thing that really came out of it was um, we do have an 0800 number and we also have an online chat and typically people will email us or be online. But over lockdown, I actually got more phone calls to the 0800 mm. number than I ever had previously. Oh. And I, I guess part of that is probably that people were at home and they had the time. But also I felt that that was a real sense of people just actually wanted to have a chat. Yeah. And there were so many people I spoke yeah. to that I would even say to them, this is so nice. I'm so glad you've called today because <laughs> we can actually have, you know, catch up what's going on in Wanaka, what's going on in other parts of the country. Um, so that was interesting. And I think that basically led us actually to open up the opportunity for people to book kind of what we're now calling like an ask kernel time. So, you know, most people would normally send an email, but we just found that sometimes it's really easy to just jump on the phone for 15 minutes. And if you've got investment questions or money questions, if you're thinking about investing, um, and so, yeah, that's probably one of the, I suppose, the changes to the business or different service offerings that we're trying to add in that have come from COVID. Yeah. Did the calls last longer, though, yes. than they usually would? <laughs> yes. How, how much would the average call be in terms of duration uh, when someone calls you? Yeah, probably. So if if they're sort of a, you know, it's that initial call of I've checked you guys out, looked online, got some questions, maybe 15, 20 minutes, that sort of thing. Yeah. There were definitely some instances. I remember one in particular because um, it was nearing the end of the day and I had sort of just about to start prepping dinner. Thankfully, was at home. So quickly turned the stove off because that phone call went for 60 minutes, which is completely wow. fine um, and, you know, very thorough. And I look, for me, I kind of think, you know, investing is a really hard decision for a lot of people and if you have genuine Mm. questions we absolutely want to answer them so it's not time wasted and interestingly enough having those discussions you always learn so many different Mm. things about what are people thinking about which informs what kind of blogs we want to write and you know what should we be maybe addressing in our monthly newsletter those sorts of things Mm. because you just get such a varied response from so many different people um so I personally love it so with the, what were the type of questions you were getting during lockdown? Were people obviously hesitant to invest because of the situation? Yeah, I would say um, the biggest, well, the number one question that we have since written a blog on was how should I invest a lump sum? 
And I think a lot of that came about because people were hearing in the news or, you know, on different forums or Facebook groups, all those sorts of um, avenues that everything's cheap. You know, the share market was cheap, the market's gone down, they should be investing. If it's something that they've been sitting on or thinking about from, for a while, then this is the time. But naturally, then you get quite nervous, right? If it's something that you've been, you know, say you've got $10,000 sitting in the bank and you've been sitting on that for about a year, not really sure. Now you think it's the right time. Should you invest that all at once or over, you know, a dollar cost averaging approach over a couple of weeks or a couple of months? So that was by far and away the biggest question or the most frequent question that we were asked. And what would be the pros and cons of that? Yeah, well, good question. So um, <laughs> to be honest, the, the, the pros are... More time in the market, the longer your money has in the market, the better it's going to do. So it's that old adage of don't try and time the market, it's time in the market that Mm. matters. Um, So there have been studies and research done on whether a dollar cost averaging approach is better to just you know, investing it all on day one as a lump sum. And typically investing it all on day one as a lump sum comes out better in the numbers. The issue is it's scary. You know, we're all human. Um, No one likes the feeling of investing that on day one and then coming back a week later and seeing that that $10,000 has gone to $9,800. You know, that's just, and it's a natural human reaction. It's, you know, there's a whole heap of psychology on it. So what we typically say is it really depends on how iron or strong your gut is. So, you know, how how good is your urge to not look and to not panic um, and not change the course? And also, is the amount meaningful to you? Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, $10,000 is, you know, a hard-earned, um, hard-saved amount, and that might be the start of their nest egg, particularly if they're accumulating, whereas for others, $10,000 is you know, it could be a drop in the ocean. So I think it really depends on your personal situation, um, you know, how you've come about that money, how you feel towards it. And then what we typically say is if you're not the type of person that feels confident just putting it all in on day one, look at about a three-month time frame. So whether that's, you know, taking that 10000 and splitting it over monthly, week, like investments or weekly, finding a good solution that um, works for you. So that's why we have things like auto invest that just make it really easy. So you could pick weekly, fortnightly, monthly, set and forget it, just mm. let it do its thing. So do you guys advise people about finances or do you kind of try to stay away from that and focus more on the, the infrastructure yeah. and what kernel is in itself? So we obviously really focus on trying to educate our investors. And so a lot of information goes into our blogs and even the tools we build to try and help people make good decisions that suit them. We can't give personalized advice. We're not uh, authorized financial advisors. So we can't say, right, you should put uh, this percentage of your investment into this fund. Mm. But we try and give everybody the tools and information that they should be able to get to a decision from that themselves. And uh, obviously then we can just have general conversations around helping people understand what the funds do. The other big thing we've done is really try to give people not overwhelming choice either. Uh, so the, the funds that we've got at the moment, we've got some more coming soon, they're designed to complement each other. So you're not going to like double up or overlap or it doesn't matter if you split it between them. Um, where, you know, if, if we had too much choice, then sometimes people can actually get themselves all sort of caught up in knots where they'll put a bit in everything and actually may not be that effective. So just the way we're setting things up and the information we put out, we think that most of our customers seem to be making really good investment decisions on the back of that themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because we're all index funds, it's it's a pretty simple standard, just a really good place to start for any investor anyway. Hmm. So if someone is to start a portfolio, what is the best way of them doing that? 
or going about it? Good question. Yeah, so we have we've talked about this a bit, and it does come down to the person. And so obviously, we previously talked about things like how, how comfortable how comfortable are you with risk? You know, are you okay riding the ups and downs that come with investing? And because that kind of that's that will determine how much you can put into say shares versus more like secure things like term deposits or bonds. Um, the other thing I think that we sort of talk about. If you think like if you went and saw a financial advisor and you had half a million dollars, they're going to build a portfolio and it's going to have a few things in it. It's going to have international equities, it's going to have some bonds and New Zealand equities. But if you're new and starting out, I actually think you can keep it a lot simpler than that. You actually only need one or two funds to really get started. So Kat talked about that ten thousand dollars. Say that's your first ten thousand dollars and you're thirty years old. You've got your whole career ahead of you. You're gonna that's your biggest asset, right? You know your your future earnings that you're going to have from your career. So you don't need to overcomplicate it. You can just go in there and go, right, I'm going to start with New Zealand equities, a, a low-cost index fund, and I'm going to have an international low-cost index fund, and I'm just going to put my money into that and then start drip feeding and build up. And then as it gets bigger, as it becomes a more material amount to your future wealth and everything, then you can start to become more sophisticated as you kind of learn and as, as you go along. So starting off, you can keep it real simple, like mm. two funds and you could actually be done. Um, you don't need to overcomplicate it. Yeah. I actually had this discussion with someone recently um, that was talking to us on our chatbot and um, they had recently started investing and read The Barefoot Investor and, you know, spent a lot of time over lockdown really looking into how do they invest, what are different asset classes, what's asset allocation, that sort of thing. And I asked them the question because they were in their early 30s um, and they obviously had quite a set plan. And I was like, this is, you know, somewhat uncommon for someone of your age to have a very set asset allocation and plan that they seem to be running. That's good though. Um, oh, it, yeah. w- it was great. And that's why I wanted to know more because I'm like, you don't come across this all the time. Um, and they, you know, had a very kind of set plan around this is how much to kind of US equities. This is how much for total world. This is how much for New Zealand. They did have some allocation to bonds that I queried them about because given their age and stage, I was wondering, and from what they'd said about their risk profile, I was wondering why they had an allocation to defensive assets. And so we kind of talked through their thinking around that. And the one thing I would say was that it was very, very well intentioned, but for probably the size of the portfolio or where they were starting out, it had the potential to get quite complicated because looking at the strategy, you know, all of a sudden you sort of end up with eight, nine different funds and for a standard, you know, investor like us that has plenty of other things going on in their lives, their work's busy, other things are busy, you do need to, I suppose, have a level of like monitoring and rebalancing your portfolio throughout the course if you're going to have that many funds. And so one of the things I just sort of put to them was, hey, why don't you simplify it? There's nothing wrong with it being a little bit more simple until you get to the point where actually, you know, you might kind of want to go off into these different satellite strategies. So, yeah. Why do people make their investments so complex though? I think if you read a lot of the literature out there, it probably fools you into thinking that that's what you need to do. Yeah. The, the other one is like people talk about like you do need diversification, right? So people talk about diversification and some people misinterpret that as meaning I need to own all the funds rather than <laughs> actually the fund itself will be diversified and that's where you get your diversification. And so we've seen examples where people have had, I think, 35 funds as part of their portfolio. And so actually, if you actually looked at what you're investing in, like half of those funds are actually doing the same thing. And so you're just doubling up on everything and you're not really, you don't have that strategy. And so I think people 
will read something or get a mm. tip from somebody and misinterpret it or think they need to do more. And it's just natural. People want to do more, right? They just want to play with things and dabble. And um, yeah, I think yeah. that kind of leads them down the wrong path. Yeah. 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 I'd imagine there'd be people that just do that not really knowing what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. much so. So yeah. investing in a whole bunch of stuff and then yeah. they have no idea what they're really investing in. Yeah. And we, we saw that, right? So... Um, when everybody went into lockdown, there was a huge surge globally of basically new investors. And they were, uh, I'd argue that most of them were stock picking and, and day trading. They were basically all of a sudden thought, I'm going to make all this money at home in lockdown. I guess you can't, casinos are closed, TAB's closed basically, <laughs> so what am I going to do? Uh, and they would start playing with like investing in direct shares and and it was an insane amount of money like for, for example in New Zealand the daily amount of money traded on the New Zealand stock exchange tripled during lockdown and all of a sudden these people who felt like they're experts and they're just looking at things and some of them would have done okay others not so great and then I think that fuels it right when everything was going on when we entered lockdown the markets were was called quite volatile. There were large up and down daily movements and some stocks were moving quite large percentage these days so you hear a friend that made like 20% today, great, and that encourages somebody else to go on and try and look at it and they'll take a punt. And interestingly, though, I think we saw that with Kat with, um, you know, we sort of talked about in the office around how you could often then, there were about five stocks that mm. everybody was talking about. And you could pretty much, if somebody told you, oh, I've just started investing in these shares, you could pretty much name them straight off the bat yeah. without knowing anything that based on all the chit chat and, and, and just kind of, I suppose, general media and it, it yeah. says to us, it's. It, it is a good and a bad thing in that, you know, it's great to have pe more people investing and getting interested in the stock market, but it's not a game and it's not, yeah. for the vast majority of people, it's not there for fun. It's not your alternative to betting on sports. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's a tool to help you invest for the future and for, um, you know, your long term essentially. And, yeah, I was sharing with the guys when we came back to the office um, when we got to level three and... Um, I had some tradespeople coming to our house. One of them um, said that they started investing over lockdown and we were talking about that and he had purchased some shares, uh, five different stocks, and told me what they were. And then I came back and, um, you know, shared it with Dean and Stephen and within 10 guesses or even less, I think it was about seven, seven guesses, they picked which five stocks he had bought. And for me, that was a little bit terrifying in the sense that, what has informed that person's decision to go and invest probably quite a like reasonable sum of money or their hard-earned savings in those five companies. And it's that, you know, he's read a few news headlines, he's had a look at a few Facebook groups, he's taken a hot tip from a mate, he's, you know, taking a punt on an industry that he actually doesn't know anything about, which is not a, you know, that's that's not his bread and butter. He's, he has a successful job in a totally different, you know, industry or sector. Um, and so I think... With that, what disheartens us a little bit is we want those people to have really good experiences with investing, not have that as their necessarily first experience and then possibly have a bad experience um, and then be put off by the share market for a really long time, which, you know, for some of the older generations today, that's their experience when it comes to the 1987 crash and what they kind of talk about and, you know, why a lot of people only invest in property. Mm. Yeah, and what, something that I've noticed um, recently as a result of COVID-19 is the whole mob mentality thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you saw people buying heaps of toilet paper. Yeah. Mm. 
And people think, oh, they're buying heaps of toilet paper. That means that I need to buy more toilet paper. Yep. And then people are like, oh, there's going to be no toilet paper, so I need to buy toilet paper. Yeah. So then it's like a self-fulfilling cycle. Yes. And that's exactly what happened with the shares. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, everybody's getting on this. I want to have my part of it. So yeah. So how do you break that chain, though? Because Inter- I think naturally as humans, we just kind of, we're like sheep. We just... So in- interestingly, it has. <laughs> like, so since getting back to level two and going back to work, everything's kind of reverted back to normal in terms of what we're seeing happening in the share market every day. And we're seeing a lot less chat about people buying direct shares. And I think part of that is we're back to a normal routine. You know, eventually that hype just dies away. Uh, and the other part is the markets are a lot more stable now. So when we went into lockdown, the share markets and everything was you know quite volatile. But now it's kind of just back to its normal daily movements. So uh, I guess at a purely emotional level, the endorphin hit isn't the same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not making ten percent today, so you don't get that same rush and energy from it that probably was fueling a lot of it initially. Yeah. Um, so that's probably I think at a very simple. Uh, emotional level I think that's sort of changed and so mm-hmm. kind of gone back to a, a business as yeah. usual. Yeah and I suppose you know now looking forward for a lot of people the conversation has changed a little bit in what perhaps was a little bit of fun a bit of enjoyment during lockdown has now very quickly transitioned into do I have job security and mm. what does the next six months or 12 months look like for me and my family and I think people are naturally and you see this reflected in all the news headlines getting a little bit more conservative in the sense of okay making sure you have an enough emergency savings? Do you have, um, you know, contingency plans in place for all those sorts of things? So I think, yeah, we've kind of gone from one extreme to another almost in um, where people have focused their energy in kind of their their own finances. And it's really good that, well, I, I believe that people are even looking at this in the first place and, you know, having more people involved is a great thing, but it's just making sure that the right financial resources are out there so that they're getting the right information. I do find it interesting that a lot of people were investing during lockdown because mm. I would think it would be the opposite. So that is quite interesting. I think as Kat's point though, right? You know, when we went into lockdown, for most people, you know, jobs and everything else mm. was fairly normal. So the, the initial impact you saw very rapidly was the share market falling. So people thought there was an opportunity. But now people are sort of a bit more realisation around, okay, I do need to have some money set aside for if mm. either of us lose a job or whatever may happen, yeah. right? You need to have some Maybe we haven't gone back to normal work as quickly as we thought yeah. we would have. You know, there's still a lot of people that are on wage subsidy or, you know, have some kind of like pay arrangement with their employer, perhaps aren't necessarily back at full time, all those sorts of things. And I think as we sort of, you know, go through the process of that and seeing what comes out the other end, people naturally start to get a little bit more... Mm. Um, conservative in that sense. And I know just personally, like I've been thinking, um, you know, we do have an emergency account and I've even been questioning, okay, do we need, should this actually be more? Mm. You know, should I, is this what we should be focusing on for the next little bit? My job's not going anywhere, but you know, you just naturally, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. which is great. (laughs) (laughs) But you do just, I think um, it's hard sometimes to kind of ignore some of the news around you and it does just make you feel like, okay, I need to make sure that, yeah, our little unit is is secure. And it's the uncertainty as well, yeah. because mm. we're still in the midst of this thing. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And I imagine unemployment There's will go up majorly that. once the subsidy finishes, yeah. which will add a, you know, another spanner into the works. Yeah. So yeah. Ha- and that's that lag effect, right? You know, people's like wage subsidies have supported that, but there will be a trickle through effect as businesses don't get up to speed as quickly as they thought. And then that has a roll on. Because mm. how are you guys trying to prepare for something that you don't even know how it's going to go? 
you yeah, know. Good question. Because um, there could be a second wave. There could be a. Yeah, exactly. We have no idea. And, and a couple of things. For, so, from a business perspective, we've always been fairly prepared for very long term strategy anyway for how we're building our business. That's good. Um, mm. From an investment perspective, again, most of the people we deal with and customers, we try and encourage them to think five and 10 year timeframes. So, it's trying to accept that there is a lot of unknown over a six to 12 month period but you have a lot more certainty about what five to 10 years is going to look like. And so just you need to take that mindset and go, right, that's what I'm committing for. Yeah. And then it and removes a lot of that, that stress. And we saw that work really well with um, our weekly trading cycle. So mm -hmm. this is one thing that, you know, we did for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is to help with that investor behaviour um, in that, you know, if something happens, like all the extreme volatility that went on in March, all the crazy headlines, you panic and you do sell, that's not instantly going to be traded that day. It's going to be traded on a Wednesday. And we did actually see, well, thankfully over the over the time, very, very few redemptions, but we did see some people that would place redemptions and then clearly think about it for another 24 hours, realise that perhaps they'd panicked in the moment, you know, put it back in the context of five, 10 years and would cancel those trades. And they just had the opportunity to do that and just think on it a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose for the vast majority of our customers, they've really stayed focused on the long term. And then the other thing that I found quite interesting just over this period of time is for some people where they may have been investing regularly or they may have been thinking about investing, perhaps they're not doing that now because circumstances have changed. There are equally enough, like another amount of people that for whatever reason, life has just gone on and they do have money or they've managed to save a little bit extra during lockdown because they haven't been traveling to the office and buying coffees and, you know, lunches and the other things that would happen or just other parts of their, you know, normal day-to-day -day life have continued and it's meant that they do have money to invest. So I think, you know, it's very much business as usual for us in that sense. Yeah. What's your views on, say, commercial uh, property, right? Because I would think, you know, this might fast track the whole working from home thing. Mm. And some businesses might be like, oh, well, why do we have all this office space? We don't need it. So yep. why don't we get rid of it? Yes, we we've, we talk about that a bit because we actually have a commercial property fund, invest into list of commercial property funds. So collectively, that invests in like 300 pieces of property across New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, the biggest impact people probably talk about is often office space, right? So so corporate offices and things like that. Um, and we're sort of internally sort of debated about what do we think is going to change from a business operational perspective and our social attitudes towards working from an office. My view, I think, is that we'll probably see increased flexibility, but people will still want to have an office space and a need mm. for an office space that we sort of touched on around. There's that very human element of just being able to go and engage with your coworkers face-to-face -face and have that chat. And so you need that place to be able to congregate and to build your culture. It's very hard to establish that if you were just all working from home. And, and then the flip side of it as well, if you think practically, some things that we've seen talked about is the idea that you know, it's a bit of a trend of having um, hot desks and things where people could mm -hmm. just come and share different desks. Well, now, obviously, the general consensus from most corporates is, well, we can't have hot desks, we can't have people sharing a space. So we have to have a dedicated space. We probably have to have more space per person as well. Mm. So even if you have some people working from home a couple of days a week, the need for the same amount of office space probably remains because they probably just want more space per person. They need to have a dedicated desk or work environment for each person rather than a shared space. And so 
I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, but I suspect generally in 12 to 18 months that the demand will generally be the same. We just may be using it slightly differently. Mm. Now, I wanted to ask about core satellite investing. Mm. Because when I read first read this term, I yeah. thought, is it investing in satellites? <laughs> yeah, yeah, up in space. It but sounds a bit complicated, yes, doesn't it? Because that's what I thought it was, and it yeah. isn't. So, do you want to just explain to me what it is? Yeah, yeah. So, um, core satellite investing is basically a strategy that you would take to how you would put together your investment portfolio. It's quite common overseas. It's also quite common to be used by financial advisors. Um, and what it typically means is the core of your portfolio is in low-cost diversified funds, typically index funds or passive funds, um, and that core exposure is the majority of your wealth. So it's the majority of your portfolio and it means that that is a long-term, sort of a little bit more set-and-forget nature to that investment. So you know that that, port that part of the portfolio is just going to achieve your goal, whether it's, you know, in obviously reference to your risk profile in 10, 20 years' time. So think of that like a planet, right, because it is kind of a core satellite. So <laughs> if that's the sun, then you do have your satellites around that. And what your satellites are are a particular tilt in your portfolio to an area of interest, um, a sector, a type of asset class, um, you know, it's, I suppose, really dependent on the person and your goals. So what it means is you as an investor have the ability to make sure that your portfolio is going to achieve your long-term goal with your core and you can just let that do its thing. And then you also have the ability to invest in things that you're really interested in or passionate about with your satellites, but you're not betting the whole bank on it. Can you give me an example? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, as I sort of touch on Kat's point, the core is the boring part, and good investing is boring. Uh, but we understand that people want to have a bit of something that they can get involved yeah, in a bit more. Yeah, people don't want to hear that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good, good investing is set and forget boring. Uh, so if you think about it, and we kind of come back to that real simple example of you maybe you just have two funds. So maybe you just have a global equities fund and a, say, like a NZ20 equity fund. So you've got NZ equities and global equities, and say you've got $10,000 to invest. So between those two funds, maybe you put $8,000, and it leaves you with $2,000 that you're going to play around with. And that may be the three, four, five direct stocks that you want to take a little bit of a play on, right. um, or it may be into an active fund, or maybe into another form of asset, maybe into a private equity fund, whatever it may be. It's something other than just the low-cost market. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But the benefit of it, it means that you're not betting the entire, you're not betting your entire wealth on those couple of stock picks that you may have. Mm. You know, you, you can go and put all your energy into those three, four, five stocks, whatever it may be, but you're only doing that with a small portion of your wealth um, and not putting everything at risk. So is this well known in the investment world in New Zealand? Not so much in New Zealand. No. Um, so is, this is a recent thing that's caught on here? Yeah, it's starting to build up. I think as people become, like index funds weren't very well known here either yeah. uh, until sort of three, four, five years ago. And it's starting to get more traction with things like the Barefoot Investor book and others in Australia. It's starting to come here. Where in the US, it's been far more known about it. People have used index funds for 20, 30 years. And so as people have looked at index funds, now they're going, okay, I've got that. How do I make that a little bit more exciting? Yeah. Um, because... Yeah. 
that or is... how do I, you know, it, it gives people the option, say you work at a company, a listed yeah. company, and you're like, I'm really passionate about this company. I want to, I want to own some of their shares. Yeah. It gives you the option to do that. It gives you the option to perhaps, yeah, as Dean said, have, you know, some private equity if you have the opportunity to buy into a business or those sorts of things. But the point is, is that it's with a limited amount of your total asset base or your total investable monies so that it just means that your risk in the long term is a lot less because you have that core that's just mm -hmm. working for you behind the scenes doing what it's meant to do and then you have the opportunity to add to it or possibly, you know, I suppose the ideal outcome with people's satellites is that they pick some winners and it all, it all works really, really well. well. But those individual companies could go bust and that's yeah. the flip side of it, right? You know, you could lose everything with those satellites where you don't have that same sort of level of risk with a low-cost diversified fund. And we see this. Like, it's not just something for – this applies to anybody's portfolio. So mm. financial advisors use it. We've got direct customers with half a million dollars with us who most of their wealth is just in the low-cost index funds. But they still have, I just really want to go and put five or 10 grand on the side on this company over here as well. And so we see it from people starting out with a smaller amount through to very large investors and yeah. financial advisors. So I think it's yeah. people are getting their head around it a bit more now. And, um, yeah. I think one thing that Dean often says when we run events is that investing is not a religion. You yeah. can have a bit of everything. Yeah. And I think that pretty much sums up what Core Satellite is, right? It's, you know, you don't have to be 100% index or 100% passive. You don't have to be 100% shares. You can have a combination. Um, it's just making sure that, you know, that bulk core is doing what it's meant to do in the best, low-cost, efficient way and then having your little interests on the side. Do people people call you, though, and, and ask you about it or thinking that they know about it? thinking that it's something else? I think people do it not realising yeah. that that's what they're doing and then sometimes we'll try and, like, sense check that that's a good thing to do. Because it sounds cool. It's just yeah. like a cool yeah. name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Court satellite investing. I was like, yeah, I want to invest in there. I don't yeah. know what it is. But... <laughs> but I can make that happen. We, yeah. Like, if we look at the things like Reddit and things now, people often post their, what they're investing in. I think you're seeing that critique come in now. People are going, like, if people posted, I'm just investing in these five stocks, people are now saying, well, you probably need a bit more diversification. You need like an index fund or something in there. So I think without necessarily everybody knowing the, That's the general term yep. or what they're doing, that is behaviorally I think we're seeing a lot more of it. Because how would you explain to the, this to someone who knows nothing about investing at all? Because it's very easy, I suppose, when you start getting into investing is to go down the rabbit hole and you, you yeah. just yeah. be overwhelmed with all this information. For sure. How else could we describe? It's almost like, I think if you think from even from a budget perspective, right? Like if you think of your household budget, first thing you're paying is like you, your house and mortgage or rent, whatever it is, and then the satellite is your $20 a week that you're spending <laughs> to go out and have a bit of fun with. You know, it's a good most, way of putting it. Most of yeah. your budget goes on to the thing that's going to give you great surety, put the roof over your head, and give you long-term comfort, and then your your satellite is a little bit of stuff that you can go out and play with every week, and you don't mind spending it all, mm. but equally, you know, yeah. you don't mind losing it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what's what's the plan for you guys going forward? Because last, I, I suppose, a lot has changed yeah. in the last. Was it six months? Did I talk to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Time it, flies. It's, it's hard it to hard to think. Um, sitting here six months ago. <laughs> this is the environment we would be in. It feels what, like six world. years ago after yeah. the last few weeks. Yeah. Well, yeah, because everything's cha yeah. Yeah. Time, changed. The perception of time, right? Yeah. It's so much, yeah, it throws you off. Yeah. I mean, going into, I mean, when did we first go into lockdown? March? Yep. Mm. Like, yeah. you guys must mm. have been watching everything intently 
thinking, what's happening here? And yeah. I imagine you have friends and family contacting you like, what do we do? What yeah. do we do? Yeah. The, the first yeah. thing for us as soon as we were in lockdown was making sure people felt they could reach out to us, like just really reinforce it. If you have concerns, mm. we, we've tried to set you up well and we've given you all the information to make you think long term, but we know in the heat of the moment, some people maybe just want to have a chat. You did have people that just, well, no, I'm fine. I get it. This is part of it. Where others yeah. were kind of a little bit more, yep. Just give them a moment. And um, but from us now, it's business as usual. Good to be back in the office. We're launching a few more things uh, in the next few weeks, so you'll see some more announcements from us okay. um, as we start to expand the range of things that we offer our customers. And because when you're looking at expanding overseas, and yeah, well, obviously some we've capacity? got. Um, our NZ equity funds at the moment, but we want to add to that and give people some more choice so that they can do that full core with us. Um, so that's yeah. sort of the thing that you'll start to see a bit more from us soon. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. there going to be um, some sort of help or FAQ for people who have COVID-19 questions? It's a good question. Um, we, we've we've been putting out a few more blogs specifically around it, and uh, we've got a few more things that we're just releasing. We tend to put out blogs every week, and uh, we haven't updated any specific FAQs. I think mainly because mm. there's the, the the personal COVID side around people's finances and budget and things like that. But from a markets and investing perspective, crashes happen and whether it's COVID related or, you know, GFC, they all happen for different reasons. But the nature of it comes down, if you boil it down to it, the same sort of thing. Stick it out, markets will rise again and that's part of it. So we just tend to... Mm reuse that same Re information, the messaging doesn't information. change. Yeah, um, and I suppose, you know, then the other side, as Dean touched on, is the whole personal finance side of it, which yeah. um, there have, I think there's been some awesome content from even media outlets on, you know, making sure people are aware of things like having an emergency account and now is the time to be reviewing your budget, even though it's very unexciting, <laughs> and all of those sorts of things. And um, I suppose, you know, for people that might be considering continuing investing or starting investing in the first place, they might now be thinking, okay, well, actually, should I be stockpiling that money in cash? Or if they have a mortgage, should I be, you know, paying my debt down faster? Those sorts of things. Um, look, I think generally speaking, it's it always comes down to your personal situation. But where we were, you know, three months ago, we would typically say to people, well, you know, if if you have money to invest or savings set aside that is generally for five, ten years away. You don't need it in the next two years. Yeah. And there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't consider investing as an option. And if you are in the bucket of thinking about, okay, well, interest rates are really low, maybe now is my time to just absolutely smash down my mortgage. Or the flip side, interest rates are really low, maybe I should start looking at buying a house. Um, you know, again, it kind of comes back to just the same information that we talked to people about a few months ago in terms of, being diversified outside of one asset class is important. So just recognising that property in one house in one street is very concentrated. Yeah. You know, people naturally want that if it's their primary residence. They want that surety and that's really good. But if you have the resources to be investing outside of that, then it's absolutely a good thing to look at diversification. Um, and particularly, I think, for instances like this, because even though markets do drop and they have it's a lot harder to sell a house or sell off your bathroom in times of need. Having like having other assets that are more liquid than a property is often quite a good thing. So I think what I would just say to people, you know, out there thinking about their personal situation is, well, 
look at being diversified and look at having a bit more flexibility because at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of flexibility with property. Yeah, that's true. And I, that's what I want to ask you is, do you think this will cause people to not just invest in property now, this whole situation? Or do you think it's still going to be like that? I mean, obviously, it's not as bad as it was. Yeah. Mm. But Funnily enough, we were just talking about this in the car <laughs> on the way yeah. down here. and Because I also had this conversation with um, some investors last week around oh, yes. they are investing and they have also previously invested in investment properties. Right. And they kind of said, okay, look, we're at a point now where we have good cash flow. They're feeling both pretty confident in their jobs. Um, and so interest rates are low. They have enjoyed investing in property in the past. Should they go do that? Or should they continue investing in markets and, you know, in equities? Mm. And what it really came down to was I just said to them, look, you absolutely just need to think about what your goals are. So what do you want to be doing in five years and 10 years' time? And it transpired that they wanted to get to the point where they were so self-sufficient that the option to work was an option, for, mm. particularly for one of them. They wanted to be able to spend more time volunteering and doing things that they enjoy as opposed to necessarily working full-time. If that's the case, I think generally speaking, you need to have that diversification, you know, mm. and it's the, the struggle that they were having and the struggle that I've often had as well just from my own personal enjoyment is some people just really enjoy property and it's something that they know, but they know that they also need to be having exposure to assets outside of that. So yeah. and we that's will, what the media we'll keep on with on. that message. Yeah. The media reports on that a lot though. Yes. I mean, I've, I lost count of how many times last year I saw you know, on the New Zealand Herald or stuff, or something about mm. orphan house prices yeah. or yeah. house prices being too expensive or you need to buy a house, house. here or there. Or, yeah. yeah, there's a yeah. lot of interest uh, from a media perspective in property. Yeah. Um, mm. Remember, this is a big part of their business is, is real <laughs> well, estate yeah, advertising. That's things. right. Um, but generally speaking, we kind of talked about this, I think, happening even prior to COVID and whether this changes that or not. My view there is the properties, properties, investment properties are typically owned in New Zealand by mum and dad investors and they're typically probably, I'm say 50 plus. Yeah. You know, they, they, yeah. it's previous generations that bought them and they've built up and they may have three or four properties. Um, a number of those will start to want to sell them down as they get into retirement. That's what they've bought them for is retirement and they want to sell some of them down now because they're going to live off that in their retirement age um, or they'll just live off the cash flow. So you'll have a number of people who probably want to exit investment properties over time um, right. because of A, regulations got more stringent around heating and insulation, investment returns and yields are lower, and they also want to get out of it to fund their retirement. Where younger generations have had less of an interest in property, I would suggest, and, and particularly from an investment perspective, you don't see the same fascination with it and there are a few reasons for that is we're probably less DIY savvy. Um, we're less hands-on. We're, we're more corporate, more city life people now. And so you don't have that same natural going to go out and fix a toilet and get into it and, and, and do it yourself. Because that's what fueled a lot of it, right? Was mm. mum and dad investors going there and painting houses on the weekend and doing that themselves. Mm. Um, and equally, people don't have the same sort of budget for it. You know, investment properties are expensive. So to have... $500,000 investment property, we actually already need to have $100,000 or $200,000. So for a lot of people, actually, young generations where they may have a good job, but they don't have a huge amount of money sitting around that they can just go and buy that first investment property with. So you need to do something else. And obviously, you're not getting anything sitting in the bank. 
and you're going to get less and less every day because interest rates continue to fall. So that's where we're seeing more people looking now back to shares and more traditional investing and away from just property. So I think the fascination with property um, socially is starting to change and we'll see more people looking at investing in businesses, investing in their own business, investing in shares and that sort of thing. Do you think that will happen once COVID nineteen's completely done, or do you think it will start happening it, regardless? It started. It was starting it anyway. I think that yeah, you know, we were seeing that big trend away from property from young generations. What will be interesting to see now is like people that may want to may have taken that opportunity to go. I want to start a business on my own, or what are they going to think about next? You know, a lot of small businesses out there. We are a nation of small businesses. A lot of them will struggle, and some of them will close. But equally, events like this create new opportunities. And there'll be others that have been sitting around and going, you sort of hopefully will see those people come through and go, actually, I'm going to back myself here. Mm. I think there's an opportunity for me to build this now in this new environment. Um, I'm going to go out and do it. And so we'll probably see people investing in themselves a bit like that going forward, hopefully. Yeah. Something that just occurred to me is, is there a bit of a pattern between the, the COVID-19 thing and the GFC, like in terms of the crash? and oh, The market? Yeah. Yeah, so um, typically... <laughs> Corrections happen all the time. So uh, a, a fall of more than 20%, so where the market from its peak to uh, a fall of 20% is called a bear market. Right. And and so it was the fastest 30% fall in history from, from global equity markets, faster than the Great Depression. So this was a very unprecedented collapse in global share markets. Um, and it happened over a matter of just a couple of weeks, where the GFC was also a very substantial crash. I think the markets, like in New Zealand, I think it was sort of mid-40% fall, you know, quite a big fall in values. But there was an initial fall and then it kind of just trailed down over a longer period of time hmm. where this has been a very sharp fall. And so recoveries, share markets always recover. Um, it's happened throughout history. If they don't, then worry about something else other than the share market. <laughs> yeah, but, the world's but, going yeah. in a different place. You've got to be concerned. The, the time frame for how long it takes to recover is always... Different. It varies from sort of six months to a couple of years to get back to where it was. Um, but if you're new to investing or putting money in regularly, that's actually a great time because you're buying into the markets that are continuing to go up. So uh, the, the time frame to recover is always different, but the general trend is the same. You have a fall and you have a climb back at some point. Because yeah. I remember a whole bunch of people posting on Facebook, oh my gosh, my KiwiSaver, yeah. oh, it's going down. Yeah. And, you know, they just want to pull everything yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of them did. Yeah. A lot of them switched to like cash. And now what they forget with that is actually, if some, if say you were 30, you already own your home, or 40, you've got your home and you change cash, you can't get that money for another 20, 30 years anyway. Yeah. And yeah. people yes. forget that they're also contributing. You know, they've got regular amounts still going into that. So now they're buying cash rather than low price shares. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's a number of things that people would have really missed out on. The markets, I think, uh, we looked at that literally yesterday, um, like NC20 fund, that from its bottom on the 23rd of March, March. I think it was, yeah. is now up 20 or 25% uh, in a couple of months sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, markets have rebounded. And, you know, if you had sold out and panicked or switched your KiwiSaver and you hadn't switched it back, then you've missed out on some of that, right? You've just locked in your losses and you've missed out on some of that recovery. And it's going to take you even longer now to kind of get back to where you were. Because people mm. act irrational when yeah. they're emotionally charged up. Yeah. That's why I try to, I try to say to myself, I'll take 48 hours yeah. to make any emotional decision. Well, a decision that I feel I'm emotionally invested in. Yeah. 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 
Because I don't think a lot of people do that. No, it's easy. And like when you see things happening, and that's probably, again, the big difference between property and shares, right, is it's real time. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. you can, if you wanted to, go in there and watch every second the little numbers go up and down, and yes. it can really heighten the yeah. emotions. And that's, that's why we saw people pile in and try and pick stocks, yeah. because this was instantaneous either gratification or fear mm. you know absolute terror of oh my and god what's going down also why people have that in, well have had the inclination to invest in property because you don't get your house valued every day yeah you don't actually know day to day week to week what the value is doing but it does change yeah, yeah. and it definitely is going up and down you yeah. just don't get to see that and then of course people have the bias of okay if you get to the point where you're thinking oh maybe now is a good time to sell and you get a you know a real estate agent comes through and gives you an appraisal if it's not the price you want most people just don't sell yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's, I think that's why they, yeah, some people kind of have this notion of like property is a lot safer because of that, because you can't see that information. It's not as easy to, um, you know, have that real time re- performance reporting, so to speak, on how you're doing with your property. Well, I'd imagine as well when unemployment rising, it'll force some people to sell their homes regardless anyway. Yeah, it'd be interesting how big an impact that is. You know, obviously there's a lot... Economists have put a lot of forecasts out there and um, oh, they don't re- know. renowned for <laughs> they don't know anything. Exactly. Just guessing, like everyone else. Yep. Look, forecasting is very hard to do. And you know, you look at different data and you can make different assumptions and you know, it's it's nobody's really gonna know the tr- the truth for another six to twelve months and we actually see it, see it in um, hindsight basically. And mm-hmm. so but Generally speaking, it'll be interesting to know how many people yeah, are forced to sell homes or whether people that typically lose their jobs, are they are they renting, are they homeowners? It's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see because some sectors have been hit more than others, right? So from an economy perspective, a lot of businesses are back to business as usual. Um, but obviously, tourism businesses aren't. So people that are in the tourism sector and even some hospitality are really struggling. So you, uh, there will be different parts of society that are going to be impacted more than others. Do people ever call you and ask you on, for your thoughts on gold or cryptocurrency or anything? Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, and sometimes send the odd email saying, could you just start a gold fund or a crypto fund? And yeah. we're pretty And what's, what's your response? Uh, um, uh, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Here's but, why. We'll but, tell you that no. I guess that's a good time to just circle back to they are satellites. In our view of the world, that's a satellite. If you want to oh, okay. play around with cryptocurrency, don't go and put your entire $10,000 into cryptocurrency. Uh, but if you have a real passion for it, if you believe it, um, <laughs> then go, sure, put a few hundred dollars into it, and that can be a satellite. That it's is... a very complex thing. I had a guy on here talking yeah. to me about it, and he managed to simplify it in a way <laughs> I could understand, but even then, it's still really, really complex. complex. Yeah. yeah. And that's like the end of the spectrum in terms of complexity. I'm just, I still just haven't got my head around... W- all the different arguments around what the purpose of it is. Is it an alternative currency? Is it an investment? All of those elements come into play, and I haven't... I think it's and everybody, and everybody has different views depending on what got them into it. Some people come into it as purely investment because they believe it only goes up. Others think it's going to be a new form of currency and disrupt the traditional monetary system. Well, in that sense, it's not the same sort of investment approaches of the guy that's betting on it just because he thinks it's just going to go up. Yeah. So how do you guys stay up to date with all this, with the market all the and things. all the things that's happening in, yeah. in the investment world, people overcomplicate that generally, right? You know, there are some fundamental, simple things that you can do. Uh, for us, again, there are just very consistent trends that you can play on. We know that 
share markets go up over the long term. That that is the heart of the economy. Um, that capital markets work, and you know, as a country and globally, we're going to continue to grow and prosper. Mm. And so, owning shares in that is your part. You can you can share in that growth by owning shares. Um, so at a, at a high level, that's very simple to get your head around and then go, how do we deliver that to an investor and how do they access that really easily and what's the best and most proven way of doing that? And so you can look at the data and go, right, index funds are the best structure for most investors. And so we can deliver on that. Then everything else that's going on, things come and go, right? Fads come and go and we'll keep an eye on it and we'll see what's going on. But fundamentally, things haven't changed that much. You know, there are still, still structural things that remain the same. And so that's why, you know, I struggle to probably get my head around cryptocurrencies a bit more is that is quite a material shift that may happen. But I think even if it starts to happen, it's not just going to be happening within a, a matter of months. It's not an instantaneous, month. mm-hmm. it's no. not an instantaneous no. thing. And so you can kind of watch that evolve and learn as mm-hmm. it goes. Yeah. Because you guys did a, a road show. What was it last yeah, December, was it? We've done a few. Yeah, uh, yeah we did. Our yeah. most recent one was actually in March. Which we did March, Which yeah. was honestly, I think, The last like, week before lockdown yeah, or two, two weeks, weeks before, before lockdown. Because yeah. it was a collaborative thing. You had Darcy there. Yeah. Uh, you had Hatch there. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Who else yep. was oh, we there? did that. was in this that was year. In, yeah, that was in February. February, February. yeah. Um, yeah, that was sort of specifically around Francis people Cook. in there. Yeah, There's Francis another Hamiltonian. Yep. Had her on here. Yeah. Yes. She's lovely. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, and that was sort of, I suppose, specifically around people in their 30s and 40s and across all different parts of finance so what are the types of things you should be thinking about in your 30s and 40s across you know cash flow investing kiwi saver property debt the whole the whole hog i imagine you got a lot of questions at those events yeah 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 Yeah. and it was good and basically became a big q a um same sort of things we've talked about today was there any type of questions though that caught you off guard or stuff that we were like oh yeah that's actually a good thing to ponder um, no, a common one again, though, is, you know, some of the things we've all talked about is um, should I pay off my mortgage or should yeah. I pay off my debt before I start investing? Yeah. You know, people often in the way up. And what's your answer? Um, there, there are, well, I think Dean and I probably have the same answer, but there are very – but our answer is different to other people's. So I would typically say, and, you know, speaking personally and also speaking as an ex-advisor, what I would typically say to previous clients was interest rates are low if you have surplus cash flow, you could pay that off your mortgage and pay your mortgage down faster, or you could invest it. From a numbers point of view, what we typically say is if you're going to invest that money and you have an expected return higher than the rate that you're paying off on your mortgage. So, you know, right now people are getting mortgages at two and a half percent. If you're going to go invest in equities over five years, on balance, you're likely to do better than two and a half percent. So you should be investing. You should start diversifying. Some people, that just really stresses them out. That's like, they you know, just don't like debt. they just don't like debt. They're just very fixated on yeah. all the debt needs to go. But I think, you know, coming at it from a point of view where I was working with a lot of younger accumulating clients, that mortgage that they might have in their 30s is not the mortgage that they're going to have in their 60s. Over the course of those 30 years, they're probably going to sell that house, buy another house, upsize, downsize, do other things. So they are going to have debts at various levels across the course of time. So our kind of view is why just focus solely on that? If you do have this surplus cash flow, you can start diversifying outside of that property. Yeah, and, and debt's not a bad thing. But mm. some people do understand they just, you know, just ingrained in them from their family maybe that 
I'm going to have no mortgage. I'm going to be completely debt free. Well, um, there's two types of debt. Isn't yeah, there? exactly. Yes. So yes. That's, yes. that's the point. Like so credit card debt yes. is very yeah. different to say yes. debt. So like any on high a interest debt, like personal debt. loans, sure. car financing, credit cards, pay that off definitely before you do anything. But before yeah. you have an emergency savings account, anything, just pay that off because that is high interest. That's very expensive. Um, and it's just good practice not to be it's in that space. It's not tied to any asset that's making you money. But and, so many people do it. Exactly. And then good debt is stuff that's, you know, like a mortgage that's backing an asset. And it, it actually helps you grow your wealth. You know, debt actually helps you grow your wealth faster. So it's it's a, a great thing to have for a lot of people. And you can invest alongside that. And um, so we talked about that a lot. You know, you don't need to pay off your mortgage. Just make sure you're paying your minimums that you need on any debt um, before yeah. you invest. Yeah, because I see a lot of young people with heaps of amount of debt, um, yep. and it's and you see the you know the television adverts and media adverts and everything. Oh, just get it on finance. Just yeah. get this. You know, yeah. after this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so always, much instantaneous. Yeah, exactly. Like, so and while easy. afterpay and labour typically for most people won't have a cost to it. Yeah. Um, but it does continue to just reinforce that cycle of. I can buy something now without having to fully pay for it right now. <laughs> yeah, and it just builds that culture of it's just another form of the traditional credit card. I can take it now and I don't have to pay for it today. But it um, becomes an addiction sometimes. It, it does. It yeah. fuels that whole I, instantaneous gratification yeah. thing. The worst is cars. I think that's the one I see the most in yeah. my inner circle. People yeah. buying cars. Yeah. Uh, I actually you know a guy who bought a $30,000 car. And I said, dude, why did you do that? And he was like, oh, it's an investment. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it depreciates its value. Yeah. 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 I, I think the thing as well with, with debts and how people get themselves into a tricky situation is often, you know, if you get something on a 60-month interest rate, right, you want a new TV, you go and take those deals or you get a credit card and you buy it. The justification to yourself is often, I've got really good income and I know that in six months' time or in 12 months' time, I'll have that paid off. Like I can, you know, I've got a control of this. I've got a plan. And probably what like COVID has shown people is things can happen out of totally left field that just throw that absolutely against the wall. And, you know, and then you're in a bit of a shambles, right? What if someone loses their job or all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, at a 50% wage cut, all those sorts of things can happen and you don't really know. And I think that's the point where people can get themselves into quite a bit of trouble. Um, And it's just trying to stop yourself from, I suppose, yeah, the easy justification of, I'll have this sorted in six months' time, like future me will sort it out. I think it's harder for young people too because there's the competition factor. You know, you got to be yeah. cool, you got to look good, you got to stay up with the trends. Yeah. yeah. So then people end up yeah. buying stuff or getting stuff they don't yes. need just yes. to maintain that look. Yeah. yeah. You know? Interestingly, I was, I was well, yeah, I, I was talking to someone about this recently and they were saying when you take the opposite approach of you save for something, so, you know, you do want a new TV and you save up your $1,200, it when you're actually handing over that cash, you're taking that cash out of your bank account and you're spending it as opposed to putting it on a credit card, mm. it feels so much different and it, it actually makes you be like, do I really, is this what I really want to spend this money on because you have it? Whereas I think that extra level of like cross-checking just totally goes yeah. when it's a credit card because you're just like, ah, oh, easy, done. That makes me think of something. Do you guys think that New Zealand will ever go cashless? Um, we are, as a society, um, we use very little cash compared yeah, to a lot of countries. Yeah, we do, compared to a lot of countries. Um, That's what yeah. I'm interested in. Like, in even the US, huge amount of cash. Yeah. Uh, 
And we're seeing globally the rise of neobanks and things like entirely digital banking solutions. And But most banks ultimately here anyway, I, I never go to a bank branch um, or an ATM. <laughs> no, um, I only do to deposit cash on yeah. the rare times that you end and up with cash and then I, you're like, get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I bet tradies still use cash a lot. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> In some form, cash will be around for a long time, but I think day to day, a lot of people are very accustomed not having it. And there's some real simple examples you see of how people get so accustomed to it. And PayWave is a very good example mm. of behavioral change. When PayWave came out, there were a number of people that would be like, really, is it worth it? Like, I'm still just putting the card out here anyway. And then just think about yourselves of how annoying it is when you go to a place and they don't have PayWave now, you know, yeah. <laughs> pre-lockdown. You know, it was very quickly those people that were like, oh, really, is it that, that much of an advantage? And, and oh, what about security? And then all of a sudden you go to somewhere and they don't have, oh, I've got to type my pin in. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and so I think this idea of you know, getting to very frictionless, cashless society mm. will, will happen. Yeah. Um, but cash at its core will still be there as yeah. part of that behind the scenes, but we'll just be doing a lot of things electronically. Because don't they have it? It's in China, isn't it? they got the, what is it, the Wii app or something? Yeah, so, yeah. so what you saw there was um, we were really early adopters and big adopters of FPOS. And yeah. so hence we have a very card-based society anyway. Mm. We at uh, US has been very cash. Um, China and things actually kind of skipped a whole step there. So they were cash-based, but they didn't really have much from a uh, electronic and FPOS type infrastructure set up. Yeah. And so kind of what happened was you had this big step from rather than going cash to cards and then to phone payments, because they've went, they're just pure timing of when they've come up to speed with this is they've just gone straight to using the phone. Um, so that's why actually here it maybe happens and maybe it counters my argument for was Apple Pay and others here probably haven't just been as quick as uptaking as in other markets because we've had cards. And so the leap from a card and pay wave to doing it with your phone hasn't been as great a um, benefit to most users as, say, where in China, where it was going from having to deal with cash, they could do it with their phone, meant you had a really quick uptake of phone payment systems. Um, COVID may change that because obviously a lot of places now put it and they don't want people touching pin codes and all that sort of stuff yeah, and, well, and everybody point. rolled well, out PayWave and you can do yeah. PayWave with your phone so that may have actually a surge in people using their phones. For it did make me laugh a little payments. bit how it was interesting to see, you know, all of those cafes and restaurants that had previously been like, no PayWave is available here, all of a sudden, you know, forced to adopt it. Yeah. And it's a much better outcome, you know, usually for the customer. It was quite expensive for them. So yeah. the fees of PayWave for a store user are actually quite high, hence why a lot of smaller businesses didn't typically have PayWave because oh. they would charge typically a couple of percent by the banks to have PayWave. Um, so I didn't was, know that. Yeah, it's a very expensive feature for them. And so hence why... It was often smaller businesses or some cafes and things that mm. didn't have it. And I don't know whether banks um, came to the party on that yeah. during lockdown because people needed to pay contactless. Um, I, I did read somewhere, is it Sweden or Switzerland, where they've started microchipping people? Oh, where really? you just do <laughs> just... But I think that's dangerous. You'll get weirdos coming around chopping off people's hands uh, yeah. to yeah. use their hands. To... Yeah, that, that is a bit dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So who knows where it's going to go? Well, um, I know you guys have got to get going. But uh, so where's the where's the best place for anyone to to find us? Well, yeah, find, find you out more. all your social media. Yeah, cool. So um, best place is probably kernelwealth.co.nz, and then social media we are Colonel Wealth all over Instagram, Facebook. We have YouTube. K E R N E L. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So um, K-E-R-N-E-L. That's it. Perfect. Just Still got the t-shirt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we have some really exciting new funds obviously coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, and we're going to be announcing that to our customers and subscribers first. So definitely if you're keen to find yep. out what's happening, get on the subscription list um, and yeah. Check out the blogs. Yeah, there's a huge amount of good reading in there just to get you started. If you're just learning about investing or what should we be thinking about, that's mm. it. Just Who does the blogs? All of us. The whole team. team. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. yeah. That's good. Depends yeah. on the topic. Um, and typically, a lot of our blogs start with actual getting like raw data and analyzing some stuff. And that's, you know, Stephen's really awesome at that. And he just often sometimes, you know, in the course of his day-to-day, we'll be like, this is quite a cool, interesting stat. We should we should write on this. And then mm. we often just banter about it in the office. And, you know, if we think it's useful, then we'll put it out there. Because you guys have some interns as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We've got some interns with us in the team. And so we're growing and it's been good fun. And, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Reese. Well, thanks very much, guys. It's great Most to see welcome. you again. Yes. Make sure you check out Colonel uh, on their website, social media i'll have all the links and and all that but until next time stay safe and don't do anything stupid with money yeah. <laughs> <laughs>